Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to minister today and ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. This will be a scripture that we will get to, but I want to talk to you today on what God is speaking to my heart on caving to the craving. And my heart is full today to share this word with you, and I feel like it's a now word for our church. And I want to thank you for being here on Wednesday night for midweek. We had a packed house on Wednesday night. And I want to say thank you for making it your priority for you and your family to grow and uh, just continue to explode in knowledge and truth and wisdom. God spoke this word to my heart and began to uh, digest it. And here we're going to talk about food and hunger and stuff, but it really began to digest the details of this message. A lot of times when God speaks to me, you know, it might be in the midnight hour. And when he does, I get up and write it down in my notes so I don't miss it. Uh, so sometimes you have to be in a quiet place where God can speak to you over the busyness of life. Amen. Sometimes it's hard to hear from God when you got the TV and both rooms running. Kids are everywhere. Amen. You got this, that going. The dog needs your attention. All kinds of mess happening. And then you're wondering why you're not at peace. You don't have the communion. And uh, God will sometimes find a way to separate you to speak this to you. That's what he does for me. I don't know what he does for y'all, but I think he probably does a similar. Finds a way where he can speak to you and then you know that it's him. Amen? So he began to speak to me and, and I want to discuss the difference between what you want and what you need. And you can write that down if you want. There's a difference between what you want and what you need. I want a dozen hot now Krispy Kremes. But I need a salad. How many of you know that there's usually a very real distinction between what you want and what you need? You want bluebell, but you need broccoli. Amen? You want your will, but you need to submit to his word. And whenever these two forces, your desire and God's divine purpose collide within you, it creates, write this down, a hunger pain. When two forces, your, will, your desire and God's will for your, his purpose for you, when that collides within you, it creates a hunger pain. You need to remember that. Sometimes your pain is to feed the flesh. And sometimes your pain is a yearning in the spirit. Mm. What you need to understand is that the one that you choose to feed is the one that's going to win. Amen? And today I want to see what the Word of God has to say about how you overcome the hunger pain, how you filter it, how you process the hunger pain. Let's read in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 together. If you're there, say amen. And the writer said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's say it in concert together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall 
be filled. Help me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us a passion and a hunger and a yearning for your presence in our lives today, that we may show the world the kind of God that we serve and give them also a desire that they may know you too. Speak a word into my heart today. It's in your name that we pray and ask. And all of God's children say amen. amen. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? After righteousness. Look over at your neighbor and say righteousness. Not those that hunger and thirst for a new game station or a new toy or a new phone or a new gun or a new fishing pole. Come on, somebody. Or a new instrument or a new electronic whatever, a new MacBook Pro. <laughs> Ooh, we're cutting close here. He said those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So here in the United States, we are very fortunate that when we compare ourselves to other nations in the world, we really don't know a whole lot about hunger. Even the poorest person in the United States can find a hot meal in any given city if they submit to the will and the process and the way that a agency operates. Wheeler Mission is a fine example of feeding people, amen? But you have to submit to their program and their guidelines. So you don't have to go hungry. You could have a meal anywhere in this city every day, a hot meal, if you want it. But it does mean you have to submit. But what's going to get tight in here, I already feel it. In this nation, hungry people are still in pretty good shape. But other nations in the world, and I've been there, I've been to India, I've been to China, I've been to South America, I've been all around the world, and I have visited every nation or all these nations and went in there and did ministry, and I have seen firsthand what a nation looks like without democracy. I have seen terrorism. I have seen people can't even walk up and down the street without someone holding an M16 and threatening their life. I have seen, as I've crossed those borders with my passport and my legal documents, how they treated me as a United States citizen and how they treated an, a member of their own society. I remember in China one time, as we were coming out of McDonald's, which by the way, at the McDonald's in China, they make their food fresh while you wait. <laughs> There's no pre-grilling pre anything. It was very good, actually. <laughs> it was very good. But I, and in, that, in China, they wait on you in the McDonald's. They come to your table. They wait on you. They take your order. It's just really a different experience. And the uh, customer service is over the top. But I remember coming out of that McDonald's and I saw a, a, a young man being beaten by the police. Everything within me wanted to scream and say, stop it. How dare you beat this guy? He was just in the way. I watched it unfold. He was just in the way. He hadn't done anything. 
He was just in the way, and they took it out on him. And you know, injustice is not just in China. Injustice happens everywhere, even in a free country. But I have witnessed firsthand poverty and hunger. And in the United States, that's why I said we don't really know a whole lot about hunger. But other nations of the world, more than 25,000 people will starve to death on a daily basis. Literally not having enough food to get enough energy to make it through the day. You take 25,000 and multiply that by 365 days, and that's more than 9 million people who will starve to death in the world this year. And that's a tragedy. But even connected to that tragedy is this. How many people in the world are starving to death spiritually and don't even know it? Consider some of these statistics. In the United States this year, 800 and 67,000 marriages will starve to death whenever they sign the paperwork for divorce. 46,000 people are starving to death for hope. And when they don't feel like they can find hope in the things of the world, in starvation, they take their own life in suicide. 68,000 people are looking for some form of escape. They're starving to death. They're looking for something to help them to overcome the pain that's life, life in general. And they're going to end their life perhaps with an accidental drug overdose. 20 million children, hear me, in the United States are starving right now in their heart, in their home, and in their lives for the love of a father who is not in the house. The question that I have for you this morning that I want you to write down is what are you hungry for? Where is the hole in your, in your life? And what's going to fill that hole? The prophet Amos said in the Old Testament in chapter 8 and verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, says God, when I will send a famine... Not a famine of bread, not a famine of water, but a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. And church, I want you to know that the famine is not coming to America. The famine is already in America. We are starving to death because we have craved and we have hungered and we have not found that one thing that would satisfy us. We've craved power. And we've never been more out of control. We've craved riches. And we've never been more spiritually bankrupt. We've craved pleasure. And we've never been more empty. And spiritually we sit in a worship center. And the nation is starving to death. Because we're looking for someone. We're looking for something. We're looking for a fix. That will fix this hole that is inside of us. A question again is, what do you crave? Ask yourself, what is it that I crave? Because your cravings really have nothing to do with what you need. And that's a dangerous thing because oftentimes we consider our cravings and then we deceive ourselves by our own cravings. 
We convince ourselves, I need what I crave. Now, I know I'm not maybe talking about you, so don't get offended, but I guarantee there are people that you know who tell you the things that they need, but they're really just the things that they crave. How many of you have ever needed chocolate? Now, that might be debatable right there. But look at it this way, just so you understand that your cravings have nothing to do with your needs. Think about Thanksgiving. We just came through, and maybe you're thinking back or you're already thinking ahead. But I assume that at Thanksgiving, if you're like the rest of us, you're going to eat more in one hour and probably in more than one person's house more food than you would eat in a week and you're going to sit there until you start sweating and start aching. You don't need anything. Your body is actually yelling at you and telling you to stop, stop it. And you're about to fall asleep at the table because of all the chemicals that are in the turkey that you just consumed. And all of a sudden, in spite of what you don't need, Somebody's going to walk into the room and they're going to say, would you like some pie and ice cream? And you're going to say, yes, I would like to have some pie and I'd like to have some ice cream. Mentally, you're going to convince yourself there's room for that. Why? Because your craving has nothing to do with what you really need. So what are you craving? People crave things every day that they don't need. People need things every day they don't even crave. You go to the doctor's office, the doctor will look at you and the doctor will say, you need about 30 minutes of exercise, but you don't crave it. <laughs> He'll tell you, you need a big bowl of leafy greens, but you don't crave it. There is no hot sign on a bowl of salad that makes you jump off the highway and buy a, a bushel? Why? Because you don't crave a salad. But you put a hot sign on a donut shop and people will cross six lanes of traffic to get over to the, to the Krispy Kreme. They don't need a donut but the hot sign is on, so let's go. Let's roll out like an Autobot. Let's go get it. And yet Paul said in Philippians that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And it's the same way when you come to church. You come to church and the pastor will tell you things that you need, but do you crave them? He'll tell you that you need the word of God, that you need prayer, that you need the presence of God in your life on a daily basis. You cannot survive all week long on a 90-minute service fix. On a Sunday morning, you need God each and every day of your life. And in spite of what you know about how much you need him, the question is, do you crave him? I know I need him. But do I crave him? Do I hunger for him? Is there a longing desire in my soul for more of Jesus 
than what I even have right now in my life. You see, when it comes to the things that we need and the things we don't crave, we often make long lists of excuses about why we don't pursue them. Let's consider back to the diet category. We might stay there for a minute this morning. How many people do you know who need to go on a diet, who need to exercise, and they will say things like, well, I'm just too busy right now. You are sitting on the couch. What is busy about that? Well, I just haven't found the right gym. You can walk around the house. You don't even need a gym. Well, I have an old injury from high school. You were in the glee club. Why are you holding your knee? Well, the doctor said I'm allergic to sweat. <laughs> well, then go find a freezer and work out in a freezer. Or my favorite is I'm going to start on Monday. Oh, how many of you and I know that we have calendars that don't even have Monday on it? And we do the same thing when it comes to God. I know that I need to pray. I just can't find the right time. I know I need to go to church, but the last time I went, I was offended. They were too legalistic. They were too religious, so I'm offended. I know I need to read the Word of God, but I just don't understand it whenever I open it. And all of these things come spewing out of our mouth, these excuses, nothing but excuses. And no matter what excuse you make, no matter what definition of it you give, it doesn't change the truth. You still need Jesus each and every day. And you need to know, write this down, that your cravings are either curing you or they are killing you. Your cravings are either curing you or they are killing you. Because cravings can be deceptive things. Listen to what people say about what they crave. They actually use this rationale in spite of the damage that they may even be doing to themselves. What do smokers say? I need a cigarette. No, you don't. You crave it. What do alcoholics say? I need a drink. No, you don't. You crave it. What do addicts say? I need a fix. No, you don't. You crave it. What do coffee drinkers say? I've debated on whether to say that. No, you don't. <laughs> One brother over here said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> you crave it. And these are the things that we identify with our natural eyes. But how many things in your life do you crave that you have convinced yourself that you really need? Because your cravings are either going to cure you or they're going to kill you. What happens when you quit craving the things of the world that are destructive and you start craving the word of God like the addict craves a fix, you start hungering after this word and you start getting so, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. Ooh, I can't wait till break time. I gotta have this word. I'm gonna listen to it on my iPod. I'm gonna listen to the, uh, the podcast. I'm gonna listen to that. I'm gonna get the word of God. What happens when you crave his presence to the point that David said, better is it one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Don't you understand what he wrote when he said, as the deer pants for the water brook, oh God, 
so my soul does long after you. What happens when you crave God like that? You get cured. When you crave him, you're cured of the sin that's killing you. That's why Paul said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When you crave him, you are curing yourself from sickness and disease. For the Bible says, I am the Lord who healeth thee. And I am the God who cures all your diseases. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that this word shall be health to my navel and it shall be marrow to my bones. When I put the word of God inside of me, it begins to cure what aileth me. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about picking up the word and reading it and curing yourself. The reason we're not cured is that we're not as hungry for this word as we are Facebook. We're not as hungry for this word as we are Instagram. We're not as hungry for this word as we are our video games where we sit and talk to people in China all day long. And we know more about stats on football and sports. Oh, don't get me started because I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying, what is the priority in your life when you hunger and thirst after this word it will cure you of a bad attitude it'll cure you of gossip it'll cure you of talking down to your spouse it'll cure you oh you don't want to hear me it'll cure you of lining up with your job and being on time I had a guy this morning told me at Starbucks that when I got there about 5 30 this morning he said I said how's your day going he goes well he said I've been I've been on time for two days And to him, that was a great accomplishment. When you put the word of God in you, not only will you be on time, you'll be early and you'll be productive. Look down your row and say, you need to hear this because your cravings are way out of control. He's pulling the disease out of me. The dis-ease. Uh, he's pulling the dysfunction out of me when I'm in his word. What good is it if you sit here in this service today, but you don't let this word change you? And you go home and you act the same old nasty, mean self with no balance and no boundaries and no ambition and no desire and no drive and no submission to anything and nothing. What happens when you don't put this word of God in you? You are not being driven by what will cure you. You are being driven by what will kill you. Come on, somebody. God has to take the disease out of me. He's got to take the immaturity out of me. He's got to take this impatience out of me. How long are you going to keep using this excuse? Well, I went through something. We have all gone through something, but the key is through. I came through it in the name of Jesus. You've got to help yourself by putting your, the word of God in you. Write this down. Where do cravings come from? Where do the cravings come from? People hear about cravings and they want to swear them off. You can't, you can't do that with a craving. Cravings are created by everything you see, everything you hear, and everything you feel. 
It's not in your notes, but it's worth writing down. That's where cravings come from. Everything you see, that's why TV commercials are powerful. Everything you hear, everything you feel. And the apostle John said it this way in the New Testament in 1 John 2, 15. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Now, let this old Pentecostal, this young Pentecostal preacher put this in context for you. Because I came up hearing this verse a lot. And usually, this verse was used to help me understand why I couldn't do something. Mm. So this young Pentecostal whippersnack wants to give you context. Because in the times past, this verse was often used in a legalistic way. <laughs> Basically, it was saying that if you, as a young person, like anything in this world, you are worldly. <laughs> we need to lay hands on you and cast that worldly spirit out of you. Come on, don't look at me like I don't know where you've been living. Some of you came up the same way. And if you like anything in this world, the love of God is not in you. You don't even love God. But that's simply not true. Hear me. In my father's generation, they used to take verses like this and say, you can't play football, you can't play softball, you can't play basketball, <laughs> because it's in the world. And if you love football, you can't love Jesus. Uh, can I just be real with y'all? This is how I was raised. I was kept from doing a lot of stuff because of this verse. Well, I know it's so tight, but it's right. This is not a verse that says the love of the world is prohibitive. The love of the world, this verse doesn't say that it prohibits you from loving things. Mm. This verse is really saying, what is your priority? <laughs> Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to who? To you. When? When you seek the kingdom of God. Say this with me, all these things. So you cannot have prohibition and all of these things. Because it's not a matter of what you can and can't do. It's a matter of what do you want to do more. I don't judge people like that. But I can sit and watch a person's life. And it'll tell me what they prioritize more than God. Do you want God or do you want the world? Now, I just kind of freed you by bringing some of that verse to life for you to understand that that verse is not to be prohibitive, where you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this. What John is saying is do not let anything take the place of God in your life. Don't let your recreation don't let your desires, don't let your business, 
Don't let your family, don't let anything in your life become more consuming to you than your hunger for the things of God. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Write this down. It's not a matter of prohibition. It's a matter of priority. And then in the next verse, here's what he says. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of who? It is of the world. For all that is in the world, now listen closely. He says the lust of the flesh, that's what you feel. That's what you crave. The lust of the eyes, that's what you see. And then he said the pride of life. Now I want you to think about what that means. How do you receive pride? You receive pride when you listen to other people brag. That's one way. When you start listening to other people brag, it's what you see, it's what you hear, it's what you feel. This is why this is very troubling when it comes to social media. You start comparing yourself. And if not careful, you start receiving pride in you. Mm. It's what you see, it's what you hear, it's what you feel. You listen to other people brag about how they can do what they want, when they want, whatever they want. Ain't nobody gonna tell me any different. There are no consequences to my sin. I can live any old loose way I wanna live. Ain't nobody gonna tell me any different. That's why I left that church, because they do too tight, too judging, judging everybody, no. You, the Word has already judged you. It ain't that people judge you. The Word has already give a, give a conclusion to a certain lifestyles. How many of you have ever heard somebody argue like that? Well, I don't want to be judged over there. I'm going to do what I want. I can just live my own way. And you're over here living the tight life with Christ, raising your family, going to church, uh, just being obedient uh, and dealing with stuff like the rest of the world does. But you've got Jesus Christ, your hope and your salvation. But you hear some loose person over here just freestyling everywhere, freelancing everywhere, coming and going when they want. Ain't got nobody to be accountable to. Oh, that's a very dangerous place. These are things that people are, are, are priding themselves in that they can just do whatever they want. He said, these things are not of my father. He said, they are of the world. They are in the world. Look at it from Eve's perspective in Genesis chapter three. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. My question is why did she choose to eat the forbidden fruit? The Bible says that when she saw with her eyes that the fruit became pleasant to her eyes. Sin is attractive. Today they would say sin is sexy. That's what they'd say, but you know, I'm just quoting them. Sin is attractive. Sin makes you salivate. 
Sin uh, uh, causes you to take a second look. Oh, it's quiet in here. And the Bible said that when she saw the fruit, it was pleasant to her eyes. She could see it. And then she said, this is a, it became desirable to make her wise. I'm going to, I'm going to be wise. She could feel it. And then it says she took of the fruit and she ate it. Listen, she had enough pride and arrogance to believe that she could do it her way and there would not be any consequences to her action. I'm preaching now. She thought, I've got enough pride and arrogance. I can do it my way and I won't have to give an account to nobody. There will be no consequences, but she was wrong. But before we blame Eve, let's ask ourselves, what are you looking at? What did you look at this week? What's been on your radar? What's been in your purview? What's become the priority of your life? Is it still the love of the Father? Is it the, still the love of Yahweh, the love of Abba? Is it still the love of Jesus? Or have you turned and become distracted by the things of the world? Come on, help me preach. In Eve's case, she wanted to become like God the Father and more than she wanted to depend on God the Father. I want to be just like like him. That's how you receive pride. You trying to be like everybody else. You comparing yourself to who's driving what. Don't you go in debt to buy something just because you want to keep up with somebody in your family who's running around like a freestyler and accountable to nobody. Don't tithe. I know nobody wants to amen me there, but I'm telling you they're putting their money in a bag of holes and you're investing in the kingdom of God and there shall be a blessing that will not only come to you, but will overtake you. I need every tither in the room to praise God because God's going to reward you. Not everybody could clap. She wanted to become like God rather than depend on God. How about you? Has your desire for a bigger business become a higher priority than your reliance on God who is your provider? The one who gave it to you? Has the idea of sex outside of marriage becomes such an arrogant, prideful thought that you believe you can have it your way and break covenant with the God that created you? What is it that has taken the priority of God out of your life? What is it that you are putting before God? What are you listening to? What are you looking at? Who are you? Who has your ear and is filling your ear with all kinds of stuff? Because it determines what you're going to feel and what you're going to crave. Look at it this way: Why don't people uh, uh, crave Christianity in North America? Why is it that we don't crave Christianity? What do they hear when they come to the house of God? Do they hear the people of God behaving like Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you? Or do they hear people bumping their gums in the hallway about their struggle and their strife and their gossip and their backbiting? What do they see? What do they hear when they come to the house of God? Do they see what the blood of the lamb has done for you? Do they see 
what Jesus did for you when he pulled you out of sin, gave you not one chance, two chance, three chance, multiple chances, and do they hear the word of testimony come out of your mouth when you declare, I shall live and not die to proclaim the glory of the Lord. I was once dead, but now I am alive. When people come to this house, they ought not hear you dragging anybody down or kaboohooing. They ought to hear you talking about how God brought you out of a horrible pit. There ought to be tears that run down our eyes. There ought to be people weeping in these altars declaring, God gave, he's the God of the second chance. He's the God of breakthrough. He's the God that works the night shift. He delivered me in my time of need. That's what people need to hear. Or do they just see the same old, same old problems in the sanctuary that they see on the street? You need to know that if people are going to see Jesus in you, they have to see something different in you that, that, than that is in them. Why would they want him if they can't see him doing something in you? If you come to church on Sunday and speak in tongues, but you think it's okay to cuss at work on Monday, you a liar. You a liar. You a hypocrite. Well, I'm going to get some email on that. Well, I'm, you know, I'm at liberty. Paul, Paul said, you know, I'm just at liberty. No, you're not. People are watching you. They don't see no different in you than what they see in the world. Why would they want what you have? What do they feel when you're around? Here comes brother depression. Here comes late again to work. Here comes, I don't want to be here, but I want to take the paycheck. Do they feel the fullness of joy when they're around you? Or do they feel judged? Do they feel welcome or do they feel out of place when they're around you? Ooh. Do they feel freedom? Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I mean, how freeing is it when you walk into work and say, don't nobody talk to me. How are we going to do your job if we can't talk to you? Boy, it's really quiet in here. Or are they hindered by the religious rules and the legalistic lines that you have drawn? I remember I told you where I came from, right? I watched people who looked holy because all outward appearance. Can I tell Ron and Linda, can I tell on you for a minute? Ron and Linda Post lived right down the street from our, our other campus. And for years, they would drive by on Sunday to go to their other church. And they would see people coming into our church, the old timers, ladies with their hair way up high, long skirts, no makeup. Come on, somebody. And that's what they thought Bethel was all about. Rules, regulations, legislations, <laughs> lines, all that. Until they came, I can't even remember how they came, but they came. And found out that wasn't the case. But all them years, they had this thought that that's how the church was. Are you here? Now... I'm not making fun of anything I was raised in or came up in. I respect it. I want that to be clear. 
But I'm also thankful for where I came from. And so if people get around you and their nose is so high. I remember one time we had this holiness. They call themselves holiness. I call myself holiness because I think if you love Jesus and live for him, you are living a holy life. But their definition of holiness was all about what you wear. Well, it's going to be quiet in here. I, I just already know. I better, be, better come back here where it's safe. <laughs> Touch base. <laughs> and and they, they just so full of themselves. And this, these people came to preach for us and Boy, they treated us like gold, and I knew that their standards or their appearance was different than ours, but that didn't hinder me from fellowshipping with them. And they were fellowshipping good with us until other folk who looked like them showed up. And then they snubbed my wife, snubbed me, and I'm the pastor. Give them an opportunity to preach. How God gonna bless when you snubbing folk because they don't look as holy. Oh, it's so quiet. I'm asking you the question. I'm not even debating all that. I'm just saying I'm thankful. I, that was a good experience of learning for us. But what I'm saying to you now is when people come around you, are they afraid to be around you because you're gonna bust them in the face with your rules and your regulations and your lines? Now, I'm not saying don't witness because if you love your family, you will want to snatch them from the flame of fire of hell and you don't condone sin and they ought to have enough respect for you that they know how you believe and they're not going to, uh, it don't matter if they get mad about it or not because you cannot alter this infallible word of God. It is the same yesterday, today. It works for my family the same way it works for your family. Can't none of us rewrite it to make the rules count or change for us because we want to live uh, with a different lifestyle or hold to a different standard. But I'm saying, what, do you have something that they crave? Do you have something in you that people want? And I promise you, if you will hold your testimony and if you will hold the line, they may get upset a little bit, but when it's time for prayer, when it's time for deliverance, when it's time for help, who are they going to come to? They're going to come to somebody who has held the line, who has kept the cuss words out of their mouth, who has kept addiction off of them, who has walked a chaste life before the Lord. Can I help the younger generation even if I can't help everybody that's already grown in here? Can we help the younger generation and say, we gotta model this for them and let them know that there is a reality in living for God. Where's my Pentecostal church? Where is the Bible believing church that would say, yes, pastor, that is the truth. I'm not to live a life in such a way that my cravings identify Jesus if you don't crave you're dead all of us have cravings write this down craving is something God wove into your DNA when you got into the earth on the first day of your birth the doctor's first question is how is the baby eating right is the baby eating okay because the doctor wanted to know if you had cravings and if you weren't craving, then he has tried to fix whatever's broken in you physically so that those cravings come back. So it's not a question of will or won't you crave. It's a question of what do you crave. So craving is a sign of life. So I want you to see this big picture. Paul recommended 
that we follow his example. And this is what he said in Romans 6, 11. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now that word reckon, for those who were raised in the north, means that you rationalize, you reason within your mind that you are dead to sin. Paul said reckon, realize, rationalize in your mind, I'm dead to sin. Reckon within yourself that you are dead to sin and you are alive to Christ. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't say that you can't sin. There are some people walking around telling people, I'm dead to sin, I can't sin. Next time they say that, stomp on their foot real hard and see how much Jesus spills out of them. Bless you, brother. I'm telling you, it doesn't say you won't sin or can't sin. But what it's really saying is, I reckon that I'm dead to sin. It means that the desire that I used to have to sin is no longer in me. The desire for it, the craving for it. And there are people right now all over this planet, everywhere, who desire five o'clock somewhere. They desire Friday. They desire whatever window of time is that they do whatever sinful thing they do and engage in. And what Paul's saying, write this down, is that whenever you're dead to sin, that you, the, the desire dies. When you are dead to sin, the desire dies. And what you do is you replace the desire with Jesus Christ. You put Jesus Christ here. Paul said in another verse, he said in verse Corinthians 15 and verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. Say that out loud. I die daily. How often did he have to kill his craving? daily. He had to die daily. Why? Because as long as the, the spirit was wrapped in flesh, he had to submit his flesh to the word of the Lord. How did he do it? He spent time with God. How did he do it daily? He thanked God for his goodness. Daily he prayed. Daily he read. Daily he counted the blessings of God that were in his life. What about you? How often are you dying to this flesh? David said in thirst. Psalm 34 in another way in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, hallelujah. It's not just that I die to sin and I die to the desire. I replace the craving with Jesus and then I taste and see that he is good. Paul said, I have taken the taste test. Hallelujah. I tried everything that the word had to offer and it was bitter and it was cold. But now that I've tasted of the goodness of the Lord and I know that he has brought me out of a horrible pit. I tell you, He's sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. I've feasted on his promises daily. I've been pressed down, shaken together, and running over in my life. I've sat at the banqueting table of the Lord, and he overwhelmed me with loving kindness that's better than life, goodness, and mercy, his grace and provision. I've drank from the living water, and I shall never thirst again. It's unspeakable joy. I tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I replaced the sin with Christ. I now desire those things. And he's greatly to be praised. 
So I dare you today, if you've tasted what the world has to offer, misery, sorrow, heartache, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. Each and every day. Take a test taste. Tell somebody, take a test taste. I like going over to Sam's Club. I can have a whole meal before I leave. Hey, Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Then people be passing out these little things. They get their little glove on, this little, little paper Petri dish. And some of them people, they passing it out for free. They get paid to pass it out. And they don't act like they're going to be stingy on you. I'm like, you set it out here. I'm going to have three at least. <laughs> but then you feel guilty because you know you ain't going to buy it. You know you ain't going to buy it, but you're going to eat everything that's on the table. And you act like you're reading it. I've done it. I work my whole way. And on a good day, I make two rounds. Oh, I just happened to be over in this section again. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I waited for her to sit out the barbecue instead of the ranch. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like tasting to see if it's any good. I have to taste it. Because I tasted what the world had to offer. Left me with a hangover. Left me with holes in my arms. Left me with all kinds of disease and afflictions. Mm. Left me in the jail. Mm. I've tasted and seen what the world has left me with the disease. But if you want to take the taste test, I'd say if you need provision, Taste and see that he's a provider. <laughs> if you need healing, taste and see that he is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. If you need his joy, taste and see that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you need a mountain to be moved, taste and see that he will make a way out of no way. If you need protection, taste and see that no weapon formed against me is able to prosper. And maybe there are some of you in this place today, the Lord told me in my prayer that you're starving to death. On the outside, you look good. Smile at somebody and say, you're looking good. Thank God. Now, don't get flirty now. We have to pray that out of you. Don't be flirting with folk. Uh-uh. On the outside, you look good. Everything's in the right place. Your hair look good. Man, you got, got your nails done. Come on, somebody. You got that new shirt pressed. Got that cologne on. Got that perfume on. You're looking good. Got your ears waxed. <laughs> got your unibrow taken care of this week. You're looking good. You're really looking good. Come on. If we judged a book by its cover, We'd say, you're good. But maybe down deep in your soul, there's just this big empty hole. And you're trying to fill it 
by how many likes you get on Facebook and Instagram. You're trying to fill it by who's going to invite you to their parties. You're trying to fill it by overexerting yourself to get people to like you. You drank what they said you should drink. You took what they said you should take. You did what they said you should do. And no matter how many things you've attempted to fill this hole, you're still empty. And you're, you have this craving for something and you're not satisfied. And I'm not going to ask you to say with a raising of hand how many of you have tried everything because I would say most everybody has asked, tried everything. But based on what I've told you today and based upon what I've presented from this living bread, I want you to try Jesus and let him satisfy every part of you. I want to speak to the young ladies who are off to college and these young ladies in high school right now. How people perceive you is how they receive you. Don't dress provocative. Everything don't have to be skin tight. Keep yourself chaste, untouched from the world. As much as in you there's some desire, I wish that boy liked me. Honey, you better be glad he don't. You're going to end up with a bunch of mess. Keep yourself. Because God is preparing a young man in the wings who's keeping himself. And God's going to bring you together at the intersection of opportunity. And you're going to probably meet in church. I'm prophesying that. But realize not everybody goes to church to save. So you've got to be careful. You've got to try the spirits. Mm -hmm. Keep yourself. You see, some, some people say, well, you know, the, Pastor, that's not, you know, the way of the world is we just try. No, we set our kids up for failure by just letting them try all this stuff. You've got to keep them focused. Preserve them. So that when the right time, I'll take that hand clap. Thank you. I'll take it. When the right time comes, that they will have had preparation. Because you are raising up prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers, and pastors. You're not raising up sleazies. You're not raising up tramps. You're not raising up sluts. You're raising up mature women of God who walk into a room and the power of God goes before them. And young lady, hear me, a young man will respect you more. He will respect you more when he knows that you're not giving samples out at Sam's Club. Here's a little tease. Some of you catch it, some of you won't catch it. I'm just trying to help you. Young men, young men. Can I speak to the young men? We know you have desire. God made you that way. But it has to be bridled. That's why you need a father. Keep your zipper up. 
keep your zipper up. Might as well go ahead and say this, pull your pants up while you're at it. Nobody wants to see your dirty underwear. Nasty. I don't want to see that. If you're wearing shirts that are so short that when you lift your hand to praise God, we can see Calvin Klein. Wear a longer shirt or tuck it in. Nobody wants to see that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's just little stuff. Because it's what you see. It's what you hear. It's what you feel that determines the cravings. So you've got to get a sanctified life. Not that you're not going to sin, but if you sin, you can come to Christ. But you will replace the desire and the craving for it for the things of God. Young men, young men, don't you be sending no dirty pictures of yourself. Don't you be pressing on a girl. Don't you be touching a young lady. Keep your hands off. What Bishop Webb said, Bishop Webb said, if there's no ringy, ringy, there's no dingy, dingy. You better be at the marriage weekend. Bill, I can't believe pastor said that. You're going to go home and watch HBO. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. You and your playlist. Don't even go there. I'm trying to help you. And you're maybe trying to feel that craving. If I could just have this, if I could just have that, it'll satisfy you. Would you stand to your feet? Well, this 845 service, they was tight in here. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to come back next week. You better. Father, in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, in this place today, I know that there are people who need a touch in their home, a touch in their marriage, a touch in their life. I, didn't, I don't want us to come here every week, God, and just get a, a shouting word, a dancing word, where we can say, Lord, that's not, that's not what we're about, God. We're coming to you this morning because we want a word that'll change us. I want to be a healthy, vibrant, Christ example. I don't want to just be someone that goes to church. I want to be someone that lives as the church in my world, in my place of work. And so, God, I know there's people in this place today who need a touch in their home. I know there are people who need a touch in their physical body because you told me. Lord, I know there are people here today that need a touch in their finances. There are people in this place, Lord, who need to see the hand of God move this week in such a mighty way that there will not be one single doubt left in their mind that you did and you will answer prayer. <laughs> Lord, you know who they are. Lord, you know what each of us need. And you made a way through the power of your name, through the power of your word, through the power of your blood. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.